Welcome to another conversation with my future skills, the podcast where I talk with interesting people about what skills we have and what skills we need to have to be present in the future. In this episode, I talk to Connie Marks. Connie is a serial entrepreneur and a managing director of Marks Innovations, who has experienced the stress and challenges of being a startup founder. Through her own startup journey, she has founded The Healthy Startup and made it her mission to change that. She wants to bring more attention to mental health and empower founders on their journey to build healthy and sustainable, successful businesses. In this conversation, we're talking about the importance of self-care and we're trying to connect to oneself to know what is best for us, rather than just blindly following the hustle and grind mentality of the startup world that we both experience at time. We try to open the door for conversations around mental health in the founder and entrepreneur space, which for us in that conversation mostly focuses on the startup scene and also on the accompanying startup institutions, talking to VCs, for example. I hope you enjoy the conversation just as much as I did. Here's Connie on mental health. So imagine you're at a party, meeting people again, and somebody asks you, what is it you do all day? What do you answer them? That's a very good question. <laughs> Um, what do I do all day? Um, most of the time of the day I work, um, and yeah, what I do for work is always very differently because I have different kind of jobs that I do. So it varies every day, completely different. So I can't really say what I do every day, all day. So what is it that you spend your time with and, and, um, that takes up your energy? I have a couple of projects that I do. And um, one thing is that I have a female network here in Munich, a wine club, um, where I organize a lot of events. So that's, that can be very time consuming. And um, then I have another project um, called the Healthy Startup, where I take care of the mental health of startup feminists. And then I also do startup mentoring, where um, I'm working for the TU here in Munich. And mentor and their program that they have for entrepreneurs. That's very different things. And so every day <laughs> is new and different. Every day brings different challenge. Yes. Different cha and that's also the challenge is organizing everything, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Keeping track of everything and not planning 25 days into five hours. Yes. Yeah. You just said it, and how you said it um, made me made me. I don't want to say listen up more closely because I I listen to what you say, but and um, what you said was you take care of the mental health of startup founders. How do you take care of that? So we do two different things. The one thing is that we actually like work with startup founders. We organize workshops and trainings for them so they, that they can like work out a toolkit for them and prepare themselves for challenging moments and things that could be very stressful for them. And the other thing is that we try to, well, kind of like get rid of the taboo 
of mental health mm-hmm. in the entrepreneur system. Because right now it's more like, oh, work hard every day, 24-7, hustle. You have to work hard, otherwise you're going to fail. You're not going to be successful. And, oh, you take time off. How can you do that? You have to work for yourself and things like that. It's very, yeah, it's not very healthy the way entrepreneurs usually work. So right. we're trying to just also like show them that it's okay to talk about these things, that maybe it's too much, maybe these things are too stressful, that you communicate about these things when things happen. That I mean, we're all humans, so these things affect us. So that's two things that we want to do. Like we work with, with the founders themselves, but also make this topic more public and more common. Everyone's feeling more comfortable talking about these things. And that is a, an important part because, yeah, I, I wondered about that lately. I was reading a book and it was called How to Be a Founder. Um, and one of the sentences in the book, I'm, I'm not going to go too deep into the rest of the book because it wasn't that bad, but that particular part stood out to me um, where they said a, um, a VC, a venture capital fund, they don't support founders who go home at 6 p.m. as like a general rule. And I was, that, that, that kind of didn't sit right with me because I was like, but, but why does the timing when I go home have something to do with how well I do my job? Um, but that is the, the mentality in the startup world. Yeah. You said it, the hustle, hustle, hustle and 24 seven, and you mentioned all those points and, it, and that sentence fits right into that, that stereotype. Um, what is your idea? Where does it come from in the first place? Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> um, I think that I, I think that the part about like you don't have, like if you go home at six p.m. Maybe it comes from like the regular working force, you know, like the nine to five or I don't know nine to six working mentality that you're like. If you do this, then you are you can't be a founder or an entrepreneur because you're doing it like the regular workforce does, and you have to go extra. I don't know, but yeah, I don't know where it comes from. Like, I think I, I one thing that I really understand is like when you start a company or you you start the project, you're you put all your heart in, you put all your energy and you want to work because you have a lot of ideas and, and, and it gives you energy, of course, like working on something that you love, you have a great idea or that you want to bring to life that you're excited about. I totally get it. And I'm, I'm like that too. And I'm excited about my project that I could work a lot, you know, just because I want to see grow and also you want to move fast and these things. But I think at some point you really have to understand that you don't have to do that. Like it's your choice. Like if you want that and it gives you energy, it's totally fine. And also there are moments where you maybe have to prepare something for a deadline for a customer or anything. Then you definitely have to put in a lot of work because you don't want to be the one that says, Oh, I just wanted to have my break. So I didn't do finish on the deadline, but 
I think at some point you have to to realize for yourself when it's unhealthy to work that much and when it's not. And I think if you're a founder and you you look into the future and you're like, okay, so I want to raise money. I want to grow a company, like have employees and things like that. I think it is your responsibility as a founder to stay healthy. Because if you're a founder, break down or you you get really sick and you can't work anymore, then usually the project is at risk at very high risk. So oh. it is your responsibility to stay healthy on very various levels, not only mentally, also physically. Um, you really have to take care of yourself. Which is quite the opposite of what is happening, right? If you put in the hours and sit on yeah. your desk all day, every day and um, yeah, I think the most prominent thing that people do then, because also that fits into the, the lifestyle is, I don't know, go for a run or mm. every morning at 5 p uh, 5 a.m. Because getting up at 4 a.m. obviously is also a thing the startup world does. Yeah. But, um, I'm not a morning person. I don't agree with that. <laughs> I don't get that. <laughs> Um, yeah, but that's basically the only thing, right? G going for a run is the thing everybody does. And then yeah. sitting on, de on the desk all day is what everybody does. But the rest of what it means to be healthy isn't really put into consideration. No, and I think, like, so I think there's a lot of things that are very important. Like, you get enough sleep, you need sleep to feel good in the morning and have energy to work. and not everyone else is a runner or anything. Like sometimes I'm, I'm very frustrated about reading a lot of these posts on LinkedIn and things like that that give you the tips how you can balance everything out. I'm like, it's so individual. Like if you don't want to go on a run or you don't feel like going on a run, don't do it. Not just because you need to, um, I don't know, optimize every minute of the day for your work or I don't know all these things like I don't think that's that's very smart it's just like I think the most important thing is like connecting with yourself and knowing yourself and what is good for you and if it's running it that's fine if it's not running if it's just lying down and watching tv that's also fine like um I think that's that's very important and one thing I also think is also always very important that we're not only entrepreneurs, we're still like, we have our private lives. We have our families and friends and things like that. And if I, I would always think, or like tell the people like really put priority also on these things. Like if it's your grandmother's 80th birthday and you could work that day, you should go to your grandmother because she's old. You don't know how much time you have left with her. Like, would you really want to miss out these things just because you, I don't know, have a couple of more hours that you could work? I don't think that's worth it. So maybe I should ask the question from the beginning again and ask you, if you were at a party and somebody asked you, what do you, what is it you do in your pastime to chill and to get, to wind down? How would you answer that then? What I do, um, I actually like to watch TV, <laughs> watching some Netflix shows and things like that. Um, sometimes awesome, things that have no value at all. Like just, <laughs> I don't have to do something with my brain. I like that. And I also like to, yeah, I like to hang out with 
friends and family. I'm a very social person. So then it's something I really enjoy. Yeah. And now I is the topic. Work, but that's not my favorite thing. <laughs> yeah, I get you on that. <laughs> you get total sympathy from me. Yeah, it, I know it, it, it's my part also to stay physically healthy, but it's not that it's a lot of fun and things. Yeah. Right. right. So you've founded a startup that basically just quote unquote, because it not, it's not that little a task, but uh, focuses in on helping other founders keep up with their mental health. Where did the idea come from to say, this is a problem we really have to tackle? From my own experience. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I founded um, a startup myself in um, 2017. And I went through, I mean, we had lots of great successes. Um, we were able to raise money. I found a co-founder supporting everything. And the first months were really great or like, I would say like the first one and a half years were really great because we were able to to build up everything and have the first MVP and we're ready to really get, get out there. Um, and at that point, my co-founder said that she, she wanted to drop out. And unfortunately, that did not go very well. <laughs> um, so we had, um, yeah, we had like a legal fight for, I think like nine months or something like that. It was almost all of 2019, mm. um, which is very, very rough for me because I had no idea how I could continue and how, how it would end. Like, would I be able to, uh, yeah, to keep going or would I have to start new or whatever? How much would it cost? There were so many <laughs> things that was, that was a lot of pressure and very stressful. And then. Um, I have to say that it was in the wedding industry and then in 2020 for the pandemic, the wedding industry completely got shut down. And so I had no revenues and everything went really downhill. Um, again, after I had recovered for a couple of months from the legal fight. And at that point I was already very stressed, I would say, and very, yeah. Looking backwards now, I can say I was already depressed at that time, but I didn't really recognize it for myself, but just like got up again and I was like, oh no, I have to continue something. I have to keep going. Um, I cannot accept that failure. I have to move on and I just started something else and worked and worked and worked. And last year, um, I think it was like in the... October 2021, um, I was, I had months where I hadn't really slept. Um, I always felt such a big pressure on my chest when I stepped out of the door, like you couldn't really breathe. It was like, I could feel the, the pressure and um, I was very shaky. I couldn't focus. When we would have talked, I, you couldn't asked me after a conversation, I couldn't have told you what we were talking about because I couldn't listen anymore. My mind was spinning. And I told my husband, like, I feel like I can't continue like this. Like I'm not myself anymore and I can't go on like that. 
And that was the point where I realized that all the, the things that have happened, I always pushed them away and never took care of them. I was like, business has to continue. I have to keep going. I always, no, I didn't tell anyone about it. Of course, like all my videos, I was like, oh, I'm fine. And I'm doing this and this and everything's so great. And inside was complete opposite. And this is when I um, realized I have to change something. And I stopped all my projects started therapy, um, got diagnosed with a depression and worked for myself a couple of months. Um, and just like, I was, it was very hard to really lay low and not do that much, but I did it. And this year, in the beginning of this year, I had energy to start new projects and do new things. Um, and then in that time, I think it was like, you know, mid, mid of this year, um, I was a little bit back into the startup scene and like working with the startup founders and all these, um, programs, I realized like all the programs, they, they focus on the business part and financing part and these things, which is very important. <laughs> I totally understand that, but that the human part. That is completely missing. And looking back at my years where I was in programs and very much in touch with all these startup, I don't know, institutions that never, there was someone really asking about how you feel, like if something happens, like, how are you dealing with these things? Are you even able to continue things? Do you need help? Do you want to talk about that? That never happened. And so. Yeah, I told myself maybe that's something I need to take care of because I don't want this to happen to anyone else. Like if I can prevent other founders going into these, yeah, to this sickness that I was in, then would be great because I don't, I, I think if you, if I would have been able to really talk about my feelings and be more open about these things that were yeah, were really bad and affected me like that. Maybe I wouldn't have got where I was. So, yeah. You touched on an interesting and an important point because that's exactly my experience as well. I uh, I also work with startups and I've looked into a lot of these these programs, and it just isn't the human factor is not included in it at all. It's the the human factor that I see is the sales part where, yeah, there are humans that you have to sell your product to. Um, but on the other levels, not a thing at all. And I, I come from it more from an organizational um, standpoint, but it touches also on what you're saying with, because, because I work together with founding teams, teams of founders who think they have the same direction. And actually, at some point, most startups don't fail because the product isn't good or because the market isn't there, but because the founders at some point diverge into different um, directions. For example, a typical thing, um, they, uh, they, they, they funded around, got enough money to go on now. So what do we do as a next step? And one founder most all, all of the time would say, okay, let's just work with the money. And the other founder is already looking at the next funding round. 90% of the time, that is what happens. And they don't realize that their 
different ideas of where they want to go and how they work with each other, how they talk to each other, that that is actually what made the startup fail, quote unquote. Yeah. Yeah. But um, that that is what didn't bring them forward. They don't even consider the human aspect at all. Add to that what you're working with, the part where they're not looking at themselves. They don't want want to think about that, look into that, how they're feeling and how they're doing, let alone make that public. Yeah. Um, Because what would that make you look like, right? So that that human component that is completely ignored in the whole startup ecosystem, which I personally find ironic because a lot of the founders raise or, or they're really proud of doing something of their own of mm-hmm. having created something of having created their own environment when actually what they're doing is just jumping from one box to the other and um, not creating their own system where they can take care of themselves and where they can work how they want to work and um, because the structures they're just different structures, but they're still structures that don't support, um, in this case, mental health or anything that has a human touch to it. I think I, you're absolutely right. I think like, it's the capitalistic system that the whole Western world is in and that we've built up. And I think where I would also ask you, you think that wouldn't the startups be able to change these things? Like if you start your own company, I, wouldn't you be able to build something up that better than the system that we have? Instead of just making it easy and just take the system and just make your own idea within the system? I don't know. I would completely agree. And I think it's also a thing of when we found a company, we found a culture, found a company culture in the end. We set the ground for the rules, quote unquote, how we want to play in our own company. Um, And the moment we copy any system and set that to be our culture, our playing ground, that's the moment where you get into trouble because at some point it will bite you in the ass if you don't think it through. Um, not saying that all rules that you copy are bad. That's not, that's not my no. point at all. There are definitely rules out there or, or best practices out there that work. But as soon as you put something into a complex system, you can't expect it to work if you just copy something without thinking about it. Just putting it into place because for somebody else with maybe also, and, and I might open another can of worms now, but that's actually my problem with the whole startup founder hero system that we're working with right now. Like you have that one startup guru uh, or that one founder guru, Elon Musk being one, for, for example, where everybody, whatever Elon Musk is doing is just like, He's a genius. He's the greatest. He's whatever. Not saying he isn't. I haven't met him personally. I can't say anything about his intelligence. But that doesn't mean that it that system, how Elon Musk got to be rich and wealthy and successful, means that it works for me as well. But it is seen as that one thing that needs to be copied because this is the one way to lead you to success. 
which first of all, I ask you, is that your definition of success? That's, um, that would have been my question. Like, what is success? Like, <laughs> what is now? Second of all, do you want to go there the same way? Which means, for example, are your parents rich? Um, that's the first thing. Like, you need to look into into where someone really coming from to see how their way played out. But even that isn't doesn't happen. Um, third of all, do you really want to end up where Elon Musk is ending up? All of these things that. And I and also simplifies all a lot of things that he does. Like yeah, but I think that I don't know. Yes, I don't know how many kids he has. Like seven or something. I don't think he sees them at all. <laughs> so like, do you really want to sacrifice your your life, private life, for that? And I don't know. He doesn't. I don't, I don't know him. I haven't met him. <laughs> I don't want to judge him up him that much, but. He doesn't seem like the the person that I would want to be. Right. The, and I don't know. If, uh, I don't think I'm going be a billionaire or something, but um, yeah. I don't think I have to be a billionaire to be a good person and to be a happy person. Right. I think that that's one thing that I'm working on, like really figure out what is my happiness and work towards that. Exactly. And it, it, it does start, I want to pick that up, the definition of success. Because um, that for me is the starting ground. What is your North Star? Where do you want to end up in the end? Uh, or, well, end up, quote unquote, because it doesn't always have to be the end. But um, what are you running for and why are you running for this? And this could look completely different. Like it could mean that I want to have a million dollar in my bank account, but why do you want that? Um, yeah. Just to have the number on there or do you want to do something with it? And if you want to do something with it, is there maybe some other way you can achieve that? Yeah. Um, but just a copying of the, I need to have that number because that means I'm successful. Like I don't get that concept. And I see it doing more harm than good. Yeah. To me, I personally can only say that for me, it's something that I want to have impact on. Like, I don't think it would satisfy me a lot if I had like millions of euros in my bank account and be like super rich. And of course, that, that can be, I don't know, a little happiness. <laughs> Or a short, short-term um, satisfaction if you, I don't know, buy a new car and fancy house or whatever. Um, but I think if I know that with, I, with, with what I do and maybe also with the money that I have that I can do good and make the world better and have impact on the things that are important to me, that that will bring you a lot more joy than buying 10 cars or something like that. How do the startups you work with, or how easy is it for them to take up that concept? That they work on their mental health? Or both? I I would say that they could and should work on their mental health, but also the the general idea of 
changing their view, their standpoint. Um, so the startups that we've worked with so, so far, they, I, I would assume that most of them are already at a point where they understand that they either need to change something or they are aware um, how important it is for them to work on their mental health. Where so has that awareness come from in the people, would you say? Most of the time it comes because they've already experienced maybe not burnouts or depressions or things like that, but definitely they they had crossed lines where they really felt exhausted and felt like there was something wrong. They need to change something. Or sometimes if they have someone in their like family or close friends group that has mental health issues um, and they realize that there's a threat that they could also go in some sort of direction in that way. Or also understand how they can deal maybe with someone else who's in that um, situation, which is, I think, also very important, um, especially if you had a founder's team that you are very aware of your team members and you realize one of them is struggling with these things. Like they're not talking about that, but you know each other very well. You see each other most of the time, more than you see your husband or wife, <laughs> um, that you, you build up that awareness also for other people around you. What I notice a lot is health in general, physical as well as mental health, is always something that is perceived as a given until it isn't. And you just deal with, and, and health actually is the wrong word there, because what we deal with is not health, but we deal with sickness um, until we reach a level where it doesn't hurt anymore. And then we're healthy, quote unquote. And it is the same with mental health, where we don't proactively try to reach a state where we don't get into sickness, a, a prevention method. But it's always the healing aspect. The healing aspect is, is the foundation when, we, when it clicks in our brain and when we suddenly see, oh, we should do something about that. Yeah. And I wonder how we can change that perception. Because wouldn't it be more appealing to not even get into the dark places rather than working myself out of them again? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I think it's, it, to me, it would be really important to, to change our society in that way. I think we're, we're definitely, I think mental health is more and more a topic and, and more people talk about it, more people now start also like um, famous people start talking about their depressions and burnouts and things like that. But we're still not at the point where it's like a common thing where people openly speak about it, especially when at the time that they happen. Most of the time it also was for me like that. After I went through that healing process and I was feeling better, I was able to actually accept these things and talk about it 
before, I wouldn't want to have that stigma at that point, you know? And now I feel strong enough to deal with that stigma maybe, but yeah. Yeah, I think it's a very, um, it's a big problem in our society that it's not very common. Like if someone breaks his arm and they have to stay at home for six weeks, they get well cards from their colleagues and everything. If someone just, yeah, has a burnout and goes out for therapy for six weeks, everyone's like, really? Is it really that bad? And then it's not accepted that way as a broken arm is accepted as a sickness. Like something you can see, something you can feel or touch or whatever. You, maybe if you never had things like that and you're you know, with yourself or close friends or anything like that, you don't know how it feels, you don't know how it is, then yeah. And it's not accepted as real sickness. So if you would have that magic wand to change whatever you want to change, how would that look like? I think I would, the most important thing to me is to really accept these, the thing that happened with us. But yeah, that it's okay to feel that way, that we get back to being humans again in the workforce, you know, like it's okay that some things are overwhelming. Then it's not only work that could be too much. You can also have things in your private life happening. The close relative dies or has an accident or anything like that, that also affects you mentally. Like really understand that we're only humans and we have feelings and some people are more sensitive than others. And it, it's okay. Um, just... It's okay to feel bad at some point. Yeah, I, I do have a bit of a trouble with the word human resources. Because it does put exactly that thing. We are a resource. And there's maybe not, dif maybe not necessarily a differentiation between the person who types the number in an Excel sheet and the screw who holds the machine together. But there is very much a difference. And sometimes I feel we don't want to acknowledge those differences. Um, we try to, to get rid of them. We try to get them out of the system. And especially if you look into... No, not look into. I have a theory. My theory is that a lot of things that we talk about when we talk about mental health in the workplace, we could get rid of if we just, just quote unquote, create a system where everybody doesn't have to compartmentalize between the person they are at work and the person they are in private lives, where there is no, no need to do that. No. I still don't have to show up everywhere as the same person that I am. Um, I don't have to be exactly the same person that shows up at work or the same person that uh, shows up for a party. But I myself make the decision 
which things I show and which I don't mm. based on what I want to do and not how it is right now where certain societal um, expectations, certain ways to look, certain ways to behave dictate what I show and what I don't show and also dictate what is seen as appropriate or not. Absolutely. The definition of professional. Yes. Just get rid of that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, like the people, like you're always told, like um, that you you have to dress professional, like how you have to look professionally, then how to behave. No feelings, please. Then you always have to just sell yourself. Like I don't know, crazy. Especially right. in the startup world, like you always have to, or sometimes I don't think that you have to always, but. A lot of founders have the pressure to always really just show the best, you know, like, oh, we're performing great, everything's going great, because you never know as a VC or investor listening, and you can't really tell anyone else maybe not going so great, because then the people will talk or they won't give you any money anymore. So there's, you always have to behave a certain professional way. I think that's bullshit. So taking the magic wand again um, and looking into, for example, as you just said, the, the VCs, for example, or investors, what would you like to change in that system? Oh, a lot of things. <laughs> um, I think the whole, uh, the whole money raising system is kind of strange and, and weird. And I think, especially in Germany, if you've, if you want to start a company, how you can, especially in the beginning, depending on what you do, sometimes it takes months or years until you're, you have the product that you can actually sell and get your first revenue. So until then, how do you finance yourself? And I think the system is really stupid. <laughs> um, and I think the whole money raising series a series b and all these things that i think it takes too much time and energy from the founders to do that instead of focusing on what they actually want to do so i think the system itself should change somehow um and then i also like i'm trying to to listen to the vcs what they're always saying and most of them, the investors are saying like, oh, we, the product, the idea doesn't matter that much. Um, we look at the founders. Is it a good team? Is it a good fit? Um, but then in the end, they don't take care of the founders. So I think there is a gap between what they're saying and what they're actually doing, because in the end, they, they do give their money on the product and an idea. And they don't really take care of the founders themselves. And at the same time, when it might actually be true that they're really looking on the founders and not on the idea, they're looking for a stereotype founder, which if you look at the numbers, mostly is white and male. Um, so, and so they do look at the numbers. Something that I find very interesting also, especially here in, in, in Germany or Europe, um, they are looking for first-time founders and also young founders. Where in the U.S., 
the first time founders are usually not the ones that are preferred because the chance for failure is higher for a first time founder. But here, if you fail, you're stigmatized with failure. They're like, oh, I, you failed. I can't give you money because you proved that you can't do it, you know? Oh, that's an interesting. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I get your point. That's an interesting angle. It's very interesting. Like, I uh, actually um, heard an audiobook about failure, which uh, was from, I think it was from a French guy who wrote it, but at the European view compared to the US view. And um, of course, you can't put it on everyone, but I thought that listening to that, I was like, oh, yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. Like, if you think about if someone in Germany goes bankrupt, you won't be able to get any money from a bank anymore because you've shown that you, you're not capable of doing it. But looking at like, why did it go bankrupt or what did that person learn from that? Maybe that would make sense to be like, okay, at one time failed, but that person learned so much about it, definitely won't make the same mistakes again. Like the chance of not failing again is less. That's even statistically proven that. I just had a, had a thought and maybe I'm making up a connection here, but, um, so one of my recurring themes is, can we please stop running after certificates? Because certificates don't say anything, right? Just because I sat in a university for three years doesn't mean I can actually use what I have or that I sat in a training for two days. Um, yeah. I like my favorite example on that, um, on paper, I do have the certificate to be a scrum master and a product owner. Doesn't mean I could do the job for one day. <laughs> um, but on paper, I have the certificate. Um, but we still do focus very much on that. As you said, in the German realm and the European realm, it's, it's all, do you have the certificate? And I wonder if that could also work against your favor if you have the certificate, quote unquote, of being bankrupt. Yeah. So we're not just prevent, well, we are again, preventing stuff with our fetish for certificates. But this time, not because I have, or I'm missing something, but because I have something. I have mm -hmm. that stigma, that certificate of that paper off that yeah. says you've been bankrupt. Yeah. Um, and again, it's, I, the, the recurring theme there is just the, 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 the fetish that we have with certificate, it prevents so much. It prevents us from going further. On an individual level, as well as the, on a, on a cultural societal level. And that plays right into that. I've never, I've never seen it like that, but never you said it, I was like, huh, interesting. Yeah, maybe. I mean, that's, it's definitely something you, you can't really get out of, I don't know, all the papers that you were always have to hand in somewhere. Like it, it makes your life super hard and it doesn't mean that that you can't do it, you know? So, and I thought that was very interesting. Like, 
Oh, they won first-time founders. They won young founders because they put in more effort and more time than usually when you're older. You have families, don't have that much time. You, you, you've grown a lot and you know that you don't want to spend all your time working. So you want someone, someone who's young, who has, hasn't, yeah, hasn't been burnt by the working <laughs> before. So like, like really, that's the person you want to give you all your the money. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> right. Um, and I'm sure this is also one of the reasons why you're out on an, on any innovation scale is so much behind. Because people don't have the chance to play with their skills and experience stuff. Absolutely. Huh. Innovation and also, I think also maybe, in, I, I don't have any statistic or numbers on that, but thinking about like all the things that we've just talked about, like if I think about like me, when I started my company, I was like in my mid thirties, now I'm almost 40. <laughs> um, and if you see someone who's just been married, mid thirties, would you give a woman money? Probably not because, oh, maybe she would get pregnant and then she, she wouldn't be able to work or anything. Like, I don't think people would really talk about these things, but I think probably really hard if you're a woman in a certain age to raise money because, I mean, probably all in the back of their minds. Exactly. It's hard enough to find a job there in that exactly, age. Or get promoted and these things. Yeah. And you, but you're still employed and leave maybe, but like... But that also prevents a lot of great ideas probably to come to life. And especially women that have a lot of social or impact ideas, environmental ideas, and medical ideas and things like that that could actually have a great impact in our society, in our um, future. But we don't find any women that we could promote in a leadership position. I wonder where they all went. I don't know. <laughs> Definitely not, not women. It's no, <laughs> we've looked everywhere. <laughs> there are no women. The only ones that we could find are somewhere on the streets. Like, yeah. Seriously? Anyway, yeah. But maybe it would be great to ask them on the street. <laughs> yeah. Just ask them. We, you never it, know. It is. Never right. know. It is. Fine. <laughs> yeah. And it is a thing, like, where do you learn skills? Um, because we do, again, it comes back to stigma. Why is somebody sitting on the street? Why is somebody, uh, somebody living under a bridge? Why can't he even care for his living or his housing? Or why can't he just work as... Yeah, there are, there are enough jobs. Right? Exactly. So there is a lot of stigma out there other than looking at... Okay, what the what does that person learn on the street? For example, resilience. Wait, you got to be hella resistant, uh, resilient, not resistant. You got to be hella resilient if you live on the streets. That is a tough living. So what can or the the better look at it would be okay. What can we do with that rather than oh, what should we do with it? Yeah, and what, how can we create chances for people again? You know? Exactly. Exactly. I think a lot of a lot of 
especially really young founders, a lot of them drop out of school because they have an idea and they want to make it work. And mm -hmm. I mean, it, it doesn't matter if you have a college degree or anything like that. Like, right. So you can always go back to college when you're older if you want to. Like, but it's, yeah, there's no time limit on anything. And then also like saying like, oh, if you're older, it's harder to raise money. I'm like, why shouldn't someone who's 50 not have like the greatest idea ever and give them money just because they're older? What does that mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah, how these things work. Like, I actually want to have an impact or do have also great investment in startups, then I should be open to anything. Don't you think that has also to do, because that would be my first idea and reaction. Because we sees have their own agenda. They are not there for the sake of the startups. A startup is a means for them to make their money, which is completely okay. That's their business model. That's how they, how they work. Um, so I wonder if for them, it is just easier to make the means, so the startup, work yeah. as they need to, needed to work with younger, inexperienced founders. The oldest could speak up. The oldest could say, nah, not doing it that way. Maybe. I don't know. It could be. And I think also maybe, I think if you have more, a little bit more experience and I think you look at some things differently and maybe you're not in for the quick and fast growth and exit money. Maybe you're in with a great idea and you want to work on a, on a mid to long-term basis. Yeah. Yeah. And some ideas do take time. They do take time. Stuff. And then like, if yeah i I never understood but that's just my personal view sometimes when I was talking to other startup founders and and when I started my 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 first company i was I was not thinking about oh, I want to raise money, grow very quickly, and then sell it very fast. I was like, it's actually I'm planning to do that for a little while like I like the idea, I like the project. why would I give it up after a couple of years, just maybe if the number is big enough, I don't know, <laughs> uh, but it's not why I started it, you know? I think it would be a result. You would give up your company if the number is right, but you don't get on the starting line to sell it at any given point. Exactly. And I think sometimes if you think about like all the, uh, like how, how fast these things are going, like you if you really want to scale fast, it, it is fast. You, that's also where you have to put in a lot of your time and energy. And I, I don't know if everyone's always ready to really grow a company in that kind of speed. And, um, and it's also not healthy for a company to grow super fast. And sometimes they sell the company to, I don't know, big to a big company, they just take the idea, destroy the company, or maybe even destroy the whole project because they're like, oh, 
that was a competition for us anyway. Like they just buy the startups to get them out of uh, the market and things like that. Yeah, maybe you have a lot of money in the end, but then does that feel great that your project, your really a little project baby <laughs> that you made big is just gone? I don't, I don't know how that feels. I don't think that will feel great to me, but. Like, I don't why? think so either. So I always think like, why do you start a company in the first place? Why do you have this idea? Why do you have a project? If it's just there, you want that fast money, also fine, then you can go for it. But I think most of the people that have great ideas and found companies, that's a different reason why they do it. You want to change something. You want to solve a problem. You you want to have big impact on the problems of this world that we're living in. Um, so I don't think it's always only about the the quick big money. And I think it is a misconception about the term entrepreneur, because um, it always is seen as that. Like you start a startup, every startup founder is an entrepreneur. Um, I personally, first of all, don't think every startup founder is an entrepreneur. And second of all, I don't think entrepreneurs can only be found at the top of any company, if that is a startup or any other um, founder. Yeah. I think it has more to do with with how you see the, basically the world. Um, and how you see your curiosity and what you do with that. And somehow this term entrepreneur has become this <laughs> I might have a very inappropriate uh... <laughs> comparison in my head. I was just thinking, you know, so so we both have about the same age. When we were younger, every girl wanted to be a supermodel because fill in the country of your joys, every country had its version of America's Next Top Model. So every woman wanted to be a supermodel at some point and everybody dreamt about going to the castings at some point. And somehow I have the feeling the term entrepreneur has developed to be something of the same couleur in a way. Everybody wants to be an entrepreneur right now and everybody wants to have a startup and everybody wants to be his or her own boss or whatever kind of flavor that takes. The the terms are used in different ways or in things and in, in ways that they shouldn't be used, maybe. Um also the term startup, not everything that you found is a startup. Um and not everyone who's founding a company sees themselves as a startup founder. I think startup is very specific. And I also personally think it's, it doesn't only have positive sides to it. You know, mm -hmm. like there's a lot of things that I do not like about the whole startup ecosystem. Even though I am completely in that ecosystem myself. Um, but because I know that there's a lot of people that have great ideas that 
that do have great impact. They, we have so many problems on this planet that we need to solve. And uh, the people that have these ideas are usually, or most of them who found something, have ideas to solve problems. But there's a lot of things that I really don't like about the, the startup system. You said earlier that we need to start talking about the whole thing of what it means to found a startup. If you want to found one, if you want to call yourself a founder or an entrepreneur, what it includes, what it entails, what the problems are. Also, the mental health struggles that you might um, come across. How do we start that discussion? I think it's very important that a lot of people also um, that are kind of famous entrepreneurs and startup founders talk about what they've gone through just to open the door for other people to see, oh, we're all in the same boat. You know, even someone who is very successful from the outside <laughs> um, and very, very also maybe famous in that kind of sense that the startup founder, <laughs> um, that they also struggle, that they also can burn out, that they can also really... Um, yeah, have mental issues with all these things that are happening. Um, so I think that's very important that more and people talk about it um, and just make it a common thing that it's okay to talk about these things, that we're all feeling these feelings if we fail, if we make a mistake, if we work way too much and never rest and um, if we're not moving forward, if, I don't know, a funding round isn't working and you're running out of financial supply or, I don't know, you lose a, a, a co-founder and all of a sudden your, your team is too small, you have to find new people or there's so many things that can happen, um, then it's normal that it affects you as a person. And I think, yeah, I think communication is the most important thing. Probably. Like really make people comfortable talking about these things. Not only that, that we talk about the facts that, oh, that happened, but also about the layer underneath, like it happened and then it affected me because I really felt, I don't know, it felt really hard. I couldn't sleep for a couple of months. I don't know. <laughs> I couldn't really work or whatever it is that, that the effects had. Um, but then, yeah, like people are feeling more comfortable talking about these things. When you get into a startup, a company and do your magic with them, how do you open the conversation about that? Um, I, ex I open the conversation about telling my story and we showing them that I openly speak about all these things that went wrong and were bad that affected me and how it affected me like how I really felt and what the result was and then also of course that I 
got through it and got out of it. And, um, but just showing them how open I can talk about these things usually opens the door for them to feel comfortable talking about things that affect them. Do you see a ripple effect in the in the sense that you know the floodgates open? So once one person starts talking about it, mm-hmm. the bigger circle joins in. Um, and the question, well, I'm not sure if this is a question or maybe it's an open-ended question. Maybe we don't have to find an answer for that. Is um, How quickly would you like to see that happen? Probably the answer is yesterday. But <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think that will probably still take a while. Though not everyone feels comfortable, even though other people talk about it, they still don't want to open up, and it's okay. Sometimes it's also okay and already has the positive effect on yourself just listening to other people talking about that oh i wouldn't say it it's also necessary that everyone opens up and talks about their deepest feelings we're so different people everyone's different not everyone wants to talk about these things but i do think people that listen to stories from other people even maybe they're not even at that point but that is still affecting them in some way, or maybe if they come into situations, um, they will remember that, that someone else has talked about that. And they're like, okay, I'm feeling this right now. It's okay. I've heard from other people. We're all do- dealing with the same things. And and there's a lot of people that don't want to talk about their feelings and they're totally fine. You don't have to talk about your feelings if you don't want to. Yeah, it is that at least. Because it will work in your brain, nevertheless. It will have some subconscious impact on you one way or another. Wow. Yeah. How do we create those safe spaces where people can open up? And talk about this. I think uh, to me, and what, I don't think if, if we are going to be the ones that change <laughs> everything, but um, at least I hope with the work that we do, we can show others how important it is. Um, and I think that all of the startup programs or initiatives are whoever is taking care of startups and founders um, should realize that they, sh- they should have, uh, they should create these spaces, like how they do it. I don't know. There's different ways how you can do it, but like just realize how important it is. And uh, I've, I've read a statistic from the U.S. that only 1% of the VCs um, is investing into coaching and therapists for startup founders. And of course, you don't have to do these things, but I think it's very crazy to think it's only 1%. Because I think a coach or yeah, a 
people are have mental health issues, a therapist. That's that's not that much money, but that could save your money that you put into into the company. Right. Like, why not be proactive and be like, okay, so every startup gets a coach for a couple of months. Um just to make sure that they know how to deal with stress and they're doing fine and um, they can focus on their work and not on, I don't know, what else is going on with them. So, but I thought 1% is not that much. <laughs> it isn't. And if you think about it, it's crazy that they don't because what we just said, or we, would, or we talked about that earlier, saying a lot of the reasons why startups fail is basically a human component in one way or another. And so even if you take VC's standard VC calculation, very basic broken down, we found 10 startups with the idea that only one will fly and that will make up for the losses of the other nine. That's the, the general simplistic idea behind it. But why would you not invest to have two or three or four? become your unicorns in your portfolio. Why wouldn't you put the money in there? And also maybe plan for a little bit longer than 10 years or something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It is one question that I kind of, I do have that question, but I kind of shy away from it, to be honest, because this is the moment where it gets into the business case of mental health. And this is not what it should be about. Um, the idea that investment in mental health is, again, another number, an addition to a number. Um, well, basically it comes down to, can, can't we just like, can't we just be re reasonable and, uh, decent human beings just for the sake of decency. Obviously we can't. Um, no, thanks. Um, no, I'm not going to get there. I was, I was thinking if I, if I get into it, but I don't think it should be a business case. I don't think discussions about that should be. So we're just not going to get there. Yeah, and it, and it's really hard to put it in uh, in a business case because it's not it's very hard to calculate something like that. But I think as a VC or investor when you give money in, into a project, into a team, you should always be aware that the high risk factor is the human being um and how you can also take care of that. Yeah. Like from, I personally think from an investment case situation, but also from a point of view of empathy that you should have towards the founders. Right. Yeah. Again, human decency. Yes. <laughs> and I think that well, there can be more of that definitely. It's like, yeah. isn't everything that we do and work for for humans i mean yeah in the, in the end in the end all for us it's all for us the nature doesn't need the 17th project management tool but i think nature doesn't need humans at all 
<laughs> that to begin <laughs> with. Yeah. <laughs> I think right they'd be happy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But that's, that's a different kind of chemistry. <laughs> I think this is a good end, actually. That's what I was kind of hesitating with. I think this is a good end to, or to end on the note of, it's all about the human factor in it. And uh, if we, if we tend to the human factor in it, if we care for the human factor in it, maybe we're all better off, uh, but that's just, I don't know, maybe that's just my wishful thinking. Um, but that would be a wishful thinking I think I would I would sign up for. Absolutely. And I think we as humans with feelings that we have, we need it. Like we know that so many people are struggling with the lack of humanity in work, in society, in so many things. So I think we we should actually really get back to that and yeah, take more care of ourselves and the people around us. Right, right. This is an excellent last word, or last sentence, better said. <laughs> Thank you very much for being here. Thank you uh, to share your story, your experience, your knowledge on that very important topic. Um, I, it was a pleasure. It was a blast. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, if people now want to get in touch with you, uh, how do they best do that? How can they have such an amazing conversation with you as well? I think the best uh, thing is LinkedIn, um, connect or follow and then send me a message. Great. I will put the link in the show notes as always. So people can definitely, um, get in touch with you. Um, yeah, cool. That's a wrap. Thank you very much again for being here. Thank you for going through this. And uh, I'm looking forward to our next chat in private. Um, until then, have a great day. And bye. Thank you. Thanks for being a part of this conversation with My Future Skills. The show is hosted and produced by me, Saskia Listler. Music for the show is by Music Unlimited. If you want to find out more or hear previous episodes, you can go to conversationswithmyfutureskills.com. You can also download this episode on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review it as it helps other listeners finding it. Hear you next time.